Chapter 13, Part 1 of More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Hand. More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. Chapter 13, Part 1 peaceable fruit eighteen seventy three to eighteen seventy four effect of spiritual conflict upon her religious life overflowing affections her husband called to union theological seminary baptism of suffering the character of her friendships no perfect life prayer only god can satisfy a woman why human friendship is a snare letters the trouble which had so long weighed upon her heart crossed with her the threshold of 1873, but long before the close of the year it had in large measure passed away. Such suffering, however, always leaves its marks behind, and when complicated with ill health or bodily weakness, often lingers on after its main cause has been removed. It was so in her case. She was, perhaps, never again conscious of that constant spiritual delight which she had once enjoyed. But if less full of sunshine, her religious life was all the time growing deeper and more fruitful, was centering itself more entirely in Christ, and rising faster heavenward. Its sympathies also became, if possible, still more tender and loving. Her whole being, indeed, seemed to gather new light and sweetness from the sharp discipline she had been passing through. Even when most tried and tempted, as has been said, she had kept her trouble to herself. Few of her intimate friends knew of its existence. To the world she appeared a little more thoughtful and somewhat careworn, but otherwise as bright as ever. But now, at length, the old vivacity and playfulness and merry laugh began to come back again. Never did her heart glow with fresher, more ardent affections. In a letter to a young cousin, who was moving about from place to place, she says, I shall feel more free to write often, if you can tell me that the postmaster at C forwards your letters from the office at no expense to you, as he ought to do. It is very silly in me to mind your paying three cents for one of my love letters, but it's a pacing trait, and I can't help it, though I should be provoked enough if you did mind paying a dollar apiece for them. There's consistency for you. Well, I know, and I'm awfully proud of it, that you'll get very few letters from as loving a fountain as my heart is. I've got enough to drown a small army, and sometimes when you're homesick, and cousin Lizzie sick, and friend sick, I shall come to you, done up in a sheet of paper, and set you all in a breeze. Her letters during the first half of this year were few, and relate chiefly to those aspects of the Christian life with which her own experience was still making her so familiar. God's plan with most of us, she wrote to Mrs. Humphrey, appears to be a design to make us flexible twisting us this way and that, now giving, now taking, but always at work for and in us. Almost every friend we have is going through some peculiar discipline. I fancy there is no period in our history when we do not need and get the sharp rod of correction. The thing is to grow strong under it and yet to walk softly. I do not care how much I suffer, she wrote to a friend, if God will purge and purify me and fit me for greater usefulness. What are trials but angels to beckon us nearer to him? And I do hope that mine are to be a blessing to some other soul or souls in the future. 
I can't think suffering is meant to be wasted if fragments of bread created miraculously were not. She studied about this time with great interest the teaching of Scripture concerning the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The work of the Spirit had not before specially occupied her thoughts. In her earlier writing, she had laid but little stress upon it, not because she doubted its reality or its necessity, but because her mind had not been led in that direction. Stepping heavenward is full of God and of Christ, but there is in it little express mention of the Spirit and His peculiar office in the life of faith. When this fact was brought to her notice, she herself appeared to be surprised at it, and would gladly have supplied the omission. To be sure, there is no mention at all of the Holy Spirit in several of the epistles of the New Testament, but a carefully drawn picture of Christian life and progress, like stepping heavenward, would certainly have been rendered more complete and attractive by fuller reference to the Blessed Comforter and his inspiring influences. To a young friend, New York, January 8, 1873. I feel very sorry for you that you are under temptation. I have been led for some time to pray specifically for the tempted, for I have learned to pity them as great sufferers than those afflicted in any other way. For in proportion to our love to Christ will be the agony of terror lest we should sin and fall, and so grieve and weary him. One sinful wish could make a hell of heaven. Strong language, but not too strong to my mind. I can only say suffer, but do not yield. Sometimes I think that silent, submissive patience is better than struggle. It is sweet to be in the sunshine of the master's smile, but I believe our souls need winter as well as summer, nights as well as day. Perhaps not to the end. I have not come to that yet, and so do not know. I speak from my own experience as far as it goes. Temptation has this one good side to it. It keeps us down. We are ashamed of ourselves. We see we have nothing to boast of. I tell you, you will perhaps remember that you were going to enter the valley of humiliation in which I have dwelt so long, but I trust we are only taking it in our way to the land of Beulah, and how we pant to be there. What a curious friendship ours has been, and it is one that can never sever unless indeed we fall away from Christ, which may he in mercy forbid. I do pray for you twice every day, and hope you pray for me. I do long so to know the truth and to enter into it. Certainly I have got some new lights during the last year in the midst of my trials, both within and without. I remember when I was, religiously, at your age, I was longing for holiness, but my faith staggered at some of the conditions for it. I had no conception, much as Christ was to me, what he was going to become. But I wish I could make you a birthday present of my experience since then, and you could have him now, instead of learning as I had to learn him in much tribulation. To Mrs. Condict, January fifteenth, 1873. I have been meaning for some days to write to you about the professorship. It is a new one, and is called the Skinner and McElpine Chair, and Mr. Prentice says there could not be a more agreeable field of usefulness. It is most likely that he will feel it to be his duty to accept. As to myself, I am about apathetic on the subject. My will has been broken over the master's knee, if I may use such an expression, by so much suffering that I look with indifference on such outward changes. We can be made willing to be burnt alive if need be. For four or five years to come, I shall not be obliged to leave the church I love so dearly. If the seminary is moved out to Harlem, it will be different, but it is not worthwhile to think of that now. It seems to me that Mr. P. has reached an age when, 
Never being very strong, a change like this may be salutary. February 3rd. You will be sorry to hear that dear Mrs. C. is quite sick. Her daughters are all worn out with the care of her. I was there all day Saturday, but I can do nothing in the way of night watching, nor much at any time. A very little overexertion knocks me up this winter. It is just as much as I can do to keep my head above water. Sometimes I think that the dreadful experience I have been passing through is God's way of baptizing me. Some have to be baptized with suffering. Certainly he has been sitting as the refiner, bringing down my pride, emptying me of this and that, and not leaving me a foot to stand on. If it all ends in sanctification, I don't care what I suffer. Though cast down, I am not in despair. It is an encouragement to hear Mahan compare states of the soul to house-cleaning time. It is just so with me. Every chair and table, every broom and brush is out of place, topsy-turvy. But I can't believe God has been wasting the last two years on me. I can't help hoping that he is answering my prayer, my cry for holiness, only in a strange way. Dr. and Mrs. Abbott spent Sunday and Monday with us a week ago, and I read to them Dr. Steele's three tracts and lent them Mahan. They were much interested, but I do not know how much struck. I cannot smile as some do at Dr. Steele's testimony. I believe in it fully and heartily. If I do not know what it is to find God real, I do not know anything. Never was my faith in the strongest doctrines of Christianity stronger than it is now. February 13th. I spent part of yesterday in reading Stepping Heavenward. You will think that very strange till I add that it was in German, and as the translator has all my books, I wanted to know whether she had done this work satisfactorily before authorizing her to proceed with the rest. She has omitted so much that it is rather an abridgment than a translation, otherwise it is well done. But she has so purged it of vivacity that I am afraid it will plod on leaden feet, if it plods at all heavenward. And now I must hurry off to my sewing circle. To a young friend, April 4th, 1873. I want to correct any mistaken impression I have made on you in conversation. The utmost I meant to say was that I had got new light intellectually or theologically on the subject of working of the Spirit. In the sense in which I use the words, baptism of the Holy Ghost, I certainly do not consider that I have received it. I think it means perfect consecration. Thus far, no matter what people profess, I have never come into close contact with any life that I did not find more or less imperfect. I find, in other words, the best human beings fallible and very fallible. The best I can say of myself is that I see the need of immense advances in the divine life. I find it hard to be patient with myself when I see how far I am from reaching even my own poor standard. But if I do not love Christ and long to please him, I do not love anybody or anything. And if I have talked less to you on these sacred subjects this winter, it has been partly owing to my seeing less of you, and an impalpable but real barrier between us, which I have not known how to account for, but which made me cautious in pushing religious on you. Young people usually have their ups and downs and fluctuations of feeling before they settle down on to fixed principles, paying no regard to feeling. An older Christian should bear with them, make allowance for this, and never obtrude their own views or experiences. I think you will come out all right. Satan will fight hard for you, and perhaps for a time get the upper hand. But I believe the Lord and Master will prevail. Perhaps we are never dearer to him than when the wings on which we once flew to him hang drooping and broken at our side, and we have to make our weary way on foot. 
I am always thankful to have my heart stirred and warmed by Christian letters or conversation. Always glad to see any signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in a human soul. But never force yourself to write or talk of spiritual things. Try rather to get so full of Christ that mention of him shall be natural and spontaneous. To the same, April fifteenth, 1873. I have just been reading the sermon of Dr. Hopkins on prayer you sent me. This sounds just like him. I think his brother and mine, by marriage, would have treated the subject just as logically and far more practically. Still, under the circumstances, that was not desirable. As to myself, I would rather have the simple testimony of some unknown praying woman who is in the habit of waiting on God than all the theological discussions in the world. The subject, as you know, is one of deep interest to me. I have not answered your letter because I was not quite sure what it was best to say. During the winter, I am not sure what had come between us, and thought it best to let time show, and I have been harassed and perplexed by certain anxieties, with which it did not seem necessary to trouble you, to a degree that may have given me a preoccupied manner. There have been points when I wanted a divine illumination which I did not get. I wanted to hear, this is the way, walk in it. But that word has not come yet, and almost all my spiritual life has been running in that one line, keeping me, necessarily, out of sympathy with everybody. As far as this has been a fault, it has reacted upon you, to whom I ought to have been more of a help. But I can say that it delights me to see you even trying to take a step onward, and to know that while still young, and with the temptations of youth about you, you have set your face heavenward. Your temptations, like mine, are through the affections. Only God can satisfy a woman, and yet we try, every now and then, to see if we can't find somebody else worth leaning on. We never shall, and it is a great pity we cannot always realize it. I never deliberately make this attempt now, but I am still liable to fall into the temptation. I am sure that I can never be really happy and at rest, out of or far from Christ, nor do I want to be. Getting new and warm friends is all very well, but I emerge from this snare into a deepening conviction that I must learn to say, none but Christ. Now, dear blank, it is a dreadful thing to be cold towards our best friend, a calamity if it comes upon us through Satan, a sin and folly if it is the result of any fault or admission of our own. There is but one refuge from it, and that is in just going to him and telling him all about it. We cannot force ourselves to love him, but we can ask him to give us the love, and sooner or later he will. He may seem not to hear, the answer may come gradually and imperceptibly, but it will come. He has given you one friend at least who prays for your spiritual advance every day. I hope you pray thus for me. Friendship that does not do that is not worth the name. April 17th. Of course, I'll take the will for the deed and consider myself covered with orange blossoms, like a babe in the wood. And it is equally, of course, that I was married with lots of them among my lovely auburn locks, and wore a veil in point lace twenty feet long. I have had several titles given me in Dorset, among others a child of nature, and last night I was shown a letter in which, I hope it is not wicked to quote it in such connection, I am styled a princess in Christ's kingdom. Can you cap this climax? End of chapter 13, part 1